Hi, this is Shauna. Before we get to today's guest, I want to take a minute to learn more about you, the listener. We've put together a short survey at fueltalent.com slash podcast to gather information on who's listening and to give you a chance to make suggestions and comments about the show. I want What Fuels You to be a great resource for you and your interests, and I hope these interviews give you practical advice along with inspiration for your career and life. Help us continue to serve you better by going to fueltalent.com slash podcast. Thank you so much. Now let's start today's show. Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories, the years, and successes. Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast is John DeFeo. John is the president and CEO of Rapid NanoSensor, president of Venture Advisors, Previously, he served as the chairman, president, and CEO of Coco Communication. John is a seven-time CEO with more than 40 years of leadership experience in strategic planning, marketing and sales, customer care, Six Sigma, lean manufacturing, and product and business development. His experience touches nearly every facet of telecommunications and medical device industries. He has extensive experience in complex capital financings, having raised more than $1.7 billion in private venture and public markets. John attended Temple University, where he received his BBA in Business Administration and AT in Electrical Engineering. Welcome, John. So good to see you. Thank you so much for joining. Nice to see you. I'm so glad that we're doing this. I'm going to hit you with some rapid fire questions. What's the favorite, your favorite country that you've ever visited? I think Denmark, because I was there at a very young, a very early point of my career. And I had to learn how Denmark worked. You know, learned how to drive in Europe. I learned how to, to stay and um, work with a technical team and a manufacturing team. So Denmark is probably one of the, my, those foundational experiences. Yeah. Tell me about, I know that you're, you're a commercial pilot, which is super cool and exciting. Is there a plane that you've always wanted to, to fly? Like if well, you could I had, fly I own, I own a, uh, a four-place um, Mooney. I'm, I'm a Mooniac. Uh, I don't know I, what that means. I, it sounds pretty cool. Mooney is a, is, Moonies are the Porsche of, uh, of smaller uh, general aviation aircraft. And when I was working at U.S. West, I had a really good year one year in the cell phone business. I had a lot of good years, but one exceptional year. And my boss asked me, well, what would you like, since I can't pay you anymore, I can't give you any more money, what would you like? And I said, I'd like to go to jet school to fly the, my corporate airplane that I use for business. And he said yes, and I went to jet school. Oh, my gosh. That's so I amazing. Learned how to, I learned how to fly the jet airplane that was my uh, aircraft that was assigned to me as an executive in the company. And how far have you flown? Like, can you fly it far? Oh, yeah. I've flown to Europe. I've flown to... Oh, oh yeah. my gosh. Oh, you're hardcore. That's insane. Yeah, I, I've, I've had wonderful flying experiences. And, and still, you know, having an airplane uh, that sits here in Seattle, uh, my wife and I enjoy using the airplane to go wonderful places. 
Oh, yeah. Okay, so I'm curious. I don't know if you're a reader. I'm guessing that you are, but I don't know how because you're so busy. But is there a book that you most often recommend? Or you can answer this. Is there a book that you're currently reading that you're excited about? Well, I generally, it's hard to say a book. Usually it's a book uh, that I recommend that is specific to the person I'm talking to. Uh, there isn't a, I would say, um, there are topics that I recommend people understand. One is total quality management, Six Sigma. They call it lean now. Uh, and there's a whole series of great reads in that area. Okay, this one's going to be hard. Would you rather spend time in the mountains, on the water, or in the air? Oh, that's a dead tie. I love my time skiing and love the mountains and, and have had and skied all through Europe and skied uh, all, all across the U.S. for sure. And I love the Pacific Northwest is the most spectacular boating area in the world. And I have done boating elsewhere uh, in the world and really enjoy uh, the Pacific Northwest the best. And the airplane gets you from A to B very quickly. Is it the kind of thing where uh, flying is just a mode of transportation or are you kind of in your happy place, kind of zenned out while you're flying? Oh, I'm very in my happy place. Looking out the window of the airplane, all those classes in physics I had to take you can see the physics looking out the window of the airplane. You can see how the air is going over the wings and how the airplane behaves. And looking at the weather and all the weather courses I've had to take, it, it really does tie a big piece of me together. Oh, it sounds like a dream to have that freedom. It really does. Are you an introvert or an extrovert? I, I'm an extrovert. Okay, what is the, you can either answer, what is the first concert that you ever attended or your favorite concert that you've ever attended? I went to see Liza Minnelli mm. um, in New Jersey, and she was in amazing. And that one always uh, stuck with me. I've well, been to lots phenomenal. of concerts. Yeah, yeah she's amazing, great. amazing talent. She's an entertainer for sure. Okay, if, this one's my last one. If there was a book or movie written about your life, what would it be called? Oh, it would be James Bond. <laughs> If you pick any of the James Bond um, movies, they look more like things I've gotten to experience. I've been to a lot of the sets that he, um, around the movie. Uh, so yeah, James Bond is probably my best connection. Getting, getting into it, like where did you learn all this? Where are you from? Tell me about your parents, the whole nine. Uh, my mom and dad are from Philadelphia and I was born in Philadelphia. And dad's greatest wish was that we, that he wanted to own a home in New Jersey, right? So we, he um, and my mom bought a very nice uh, house in Audubon, New Jersey. And so I left Philadelphia when I was 11 with them and um, went and moved to Audubon. And Audubon was the perfect happy days school and high school and setting. It was a wonderful place. And I met so many terrific people. Uh, Dad was a uh, Army uh, senior uh, non-commissioned officer in the Second World War, uh, landed in, um, uh, in Normandy at, uh, on D-Day on Utah Beach. And some years later, I, I got the tour of Utah Beach because I wanted to see what Dad experienced. And, um, he, and he uh, had an, uh, a career 
at RCA building electronic devices of all sorts. And he shared a lot of that electronic understanding with me. And that really looked pretty interesting. And that, so I had a, an early connection with electronics and decided that that was probably going to be a career path for me. And I was also always interested in building things. I love to build things. So my, yeah. my energy was always around creating something. And, and, and tell me about your mom. And well, mom was a, uh, was a manager at a uh, local bank. And so she had uh, really good hours and uh, she, she took very good care of me. I, I could not have had a more spectacular mom, mother ever, ever. And unfortunately, my, my dad passed away when I was 13. Oh, wow. And it was just mom and I. So I uh, had to take over a lot of the responsibilities of the house and look, look after her while she looked after me. And that, so we were really um, a great team and we could do all kinds of things. And she had great skills, great interpersonal skills, great, she read everything. And it, really a lot of the things that I was successful with was because of her uh, guidance early on. One yeah. of the things she said and after my dad passed away is that she would introduce me to people that I should get to know. And so I had engineers and machinists and carpenters and uh, plumbers and all kinds of different career people that I got to know. And each of them were so uh, were wonderful in sharing some of their background with me. And so I learned things from all of these different um, people that really had had a lot to do with my my interests and and how I became the entrepreneur that I am today. I love that. And, and also that you got the benefit of learning from your dad at a young age, kind of the curiosity around like tinkering and discovery of things through like tactile, you know, touching and opening and playing um, with most people that I know that, that are interested in figuring things out. Um, that's how they describe it. They just like want to tinker and figure stuff out through right. that. I Everything I ever came in contact would take apart. Yeah. <laughs> it's sometimes... funny how many people that have kind of your similar background, whether it's like, um, you know, electrical engineers that I've had on the podcast or even software development engineers talk about that side of their brain. I don't even know where it comes from, but it's, it is that curiosity of wanting to like open it and look behind it and figure it out. Um, and it also sounds like your mom valued, I guess, being almost like a student of the world, just as much as a student of kind of school and books, or was it also a message of like results oriented grades? Yeah, she, she encouraged me that I could do anything. And she really, um, even though I, many of the interests that I had, the idea of uh, learning to fly, that no one in our family were pilots. No one in the family were boaters. And I went to work for a boating store when I was 15. And I learned a lot about boating and it was really fun. Yeah, and you, you were just curious and asked a lot of questions. And were you a good student? And were you kind of disciplined around that? Or what did it come naturally? I was a, I was a good student. Um, I, it was more fun to me to work than it was to get all A's in college. 
I, I got a lot of A's and a lot of B's, but it was mostly because I was working, uh, you know, 30 hours a week um, yeah. for five years. So I, that work experience really, really shaped me yeah. because I saw so much at the company. Did you also pursue music and sports and art and stuff? Or were you more like, I'm about learning um, the world through work? I, I think my work was my principal activity. I learned to ski when I was, I guess, 16. Um, and I took flying lessons, I guess. I started flying when I was like 21 or 22. Wow. And I had done boating in, in my teens, thanks to the company I worked for at the time. And my mom uh, introduced me to the company and they hired me as a mechanic and, because I had good mechanical skills. And, um, and then because of uh, the owner's son and I were close in age, uh, he, he uh, was, a, a, was a lot of fun to be around. Yeah, kind of took you under his, his wing. Yeah. Tell me about Temple University. How did you choose that school? And who were the people besides your mom that were influencing and guiding your decisions at that time? Well, mom had gone to uh, business college and her brother and sister had gone to business college. They had all completed two years of business college. Some of the my cousins uh, were uh, professionals. So I, I saw that the professional life was a good place to be. And I liked um, what they experienced in their work environments. And Temple... Um, Temple is to Philadelphia what UW is to Seattle. Uh, most of the people who have degrees in, um, in Philadelphia uh, got their degrees at Temple University. Yeah, and you studied business there. I studied engineering first. And then after I got my engineering degree, I, trans I rolled my credits over to the business school and then got a business degree. Mm-hmm. And what, what kind of exposure did you get there to um, teachers or business leaders that would like ultimately influence business decisions that you made later in life? There were good mentors at college. I had a number of professors who, um, I remember one early crisis. Um, I, I started at Temple and after I got there, uh, I guess two semesters, they tripled my tuition. Uh, because it became a, uh, a state school and it was a private college and it became a hybrid private college, state university. And as a result, my tuition went up th uh, three times. And mm -hmm. at that moment, I had the challenge of saying, how can I afford this? And should I go back and go to uh, college in New Jersey? And I thought about becoming a teacher and the professors at the engineering school said I should really find a way to uh, get raise the money to stay here, and I did. How did you do that? Um, well, I was fortunate after my at the end of my uh, freshman year in engineering school, I went to a electronics trade show in New York City, and I met um, an engineer um, who was at, at a in a trade booth, a trade show booth. And he said he was looking for a young, a junior engineer to work at the company. So would I come down and, uh, and have an interview? And I did, and I got the job. So did you work there a lot during college? Like how many hours a week were you working? I worked about 30 hours a week and then full-time in the summer. Wow. So it was a, um, 
and they were very flexible about uh, letting me uh, set my hours around my class schedule. And and the the engineer who hired me was the owner of the company's son, so he was going to take over the business at some at some point, at which he did. And then so he uh, he and I. Uh, they had the company owned a 73 foot sailboat. And since I knew something about boating from my years in the, uh, working at a boat store in New Jersey, um, I helped them fix a lot of the things on the boat. So I became part of the Navy at the company. <laughs> That's perfect. You also mentioned when we were um, kind of catching up before that you had some exposure to Young President's organization. And for those listening that don't know about the organization, that's how I first got introduced to you. How has that organization influenced you? And that's when you first got exposed, was during college. It, uh, the, the fast forward to this is in engineering school, I only had one elective and I took a business course. Uh, and I was so wowed by the business uh, philosophy. And there were only five of us in the class. And Dr. Schomitz really, really helped me see how, uh, how exciting the business world was really about. And as part of that, uh, so when the time came after engineering school, I was gonna go to work for DuPont. I accepted a job with DuPont to work as an engineer. And I, I, the idea came to my, into mind that I should really uh, take all my credits uh, from my engineering degree and go to business school. So I applied, was accepted in business school and just uh, continued uh, at Temple uh, for business. And during my time at, at business school, they had seminars it, right after lunch, uh, several days a week. And I used to go to those seminars and very interesting people would present their business uh, story, what they were doing, what the product was, the technologies. It was wonderful talks. And I, as I would talk to the people after, the, uh, after their talks were finished, I found a great number of them were members of YPO, Young Presidents Organization. And they, it so impressed me. I said, someday, if I have the uh, credentials, I would love to join YPO. And sure enough, when I um, got to uh, Seattle, it was an opportunity and I qualified to join for join YPO. Yeah. So for those listening, it's an international organization for presidents, you can be either a founder or somebody who's like a hired gun or a family member who's running a company for a certain level of revenue and certain number of employees and or both um, to have a network of people who have shared, I guess, interests and mindsets. Right. And, um, yeah. We talk about it as the DNA of the organization. There are 30,000 members worldwide. I think we're in, I think YPO is in 140 countries. And when you travel internationally for YPO, they have uh, universities you can attend for, to hear the best of the best in thinking. Um, it's amazing when you meet other YPOers, how much we are all alike. The, mm -hmm. the, the selection process for YPO really does uh, connect everyone. So whether you meet somebody in Turkey or in France or in the UK or uh, in Asia, the, it's amazing how similar we are. Mm -hmm. And how long have you been a member? 
Um, I joined in 88. Wow. Well, your history, just in researching you and talking to you a little bit before um, recording, is there is a theme here. You know, it's about building products, um, innovating. I know you started out your career in medical devices out of school. Um, what drew you to that? Because you, you really had the pick of the litter. You could have gone in any direction, especially with an engineering and business degree. How did you go medical devices and what did you learn well, there? I was, in a, I was in a volunteer rescue squad in Audubon, New Jersey. I spent uh, almost eight years as a volunteer for the Audubon uh, rescue. And as part of that, I had to take uh, a lot of first aid training so I learned uh, some basic uh, anatomy and physiology. It really uh, was something uh, that I learned about. And when the job uh, headhunter found me and suggested that I come out to this medical device company in uh, Pennsylvania, and eventually I took, uh, took the job there, um, I applied for the uh, new product development person, the director of new product development, and they said, you know, you're awfully young to take on that task, but why don't you, would you take, uh, we have a position open for marketing and in marketing for advertising public relations and you have experience in that, why don't you start there? And I said, okay. So I took the advertising sales promotion job and about a year and a half later, I was promoted to the director of new product development. <laughs> Perfect. I yeah, love that you're, I mean, all these things early on in your career, it's like, you know, you're so young and you're doing these things and even being recruited by a headhunter so early, you're doing kind of all these things. And was there a lens through which you were making these decisions and were there any regrets along the way? I know you went from there to Chicago to Abbott. Um, you know, was it like, oh, that sounds fun and a new adventure or were you being very calculated and strategic with those decisions? Well, I think leaving Philadelphia was a challenge. It really was a hard idea because I was working for this medical device company. The other half of the medical device company was an aviation company. It was narco-scientific. Mm -hmm. They manufactured navigation equipment for light airplanes. So I, got, I learned how to fly in the flying club that was organized in the aviation part of the company. Mm. But I eventually said I should go do this. And, um, and I did, my mom supported me, even though she didn't, didn't like the idea that I was not gonna be in Philadelphia anymore. Oh, uh, sure. But she always thought I'd come back. <laughs> well, yeah, I left for almost 17 years out of Seattle and then did come back. My parents were like shocked and yeah. Yeah, it's, it's always sometimes funny how that all works out. And- You just never know, yeah. And Abbott was a terrific company to work for, very, big corporation, wonderful programs, great people, uh, learned a lot uh, in that environment, did a lot for them. I was responsible for a couple of, couple of manufacturing companies in, uh, outside of Cincinnati. So I, um, I eventually bought an airplane in Chicago and I could fly the airplane down to Cincinnati to, uh, twice a month uh, to, to do business in, uh, uh, for Abbott. And that was, a, uh, was really wonderful. So then, um, then I got recruited uh, by a headhunter to come to work for uh, uh, GE Medical Systems in Milwaukee. So I, I took the job in, uh, 
in at GE, moved up to Milwaukee and um, built uh, um, um, new new medical devices. Mostly um, the company's uh, product line that I was initially I was the uh, senior marketing person. I ran the marketing department for the um, uh, gamma cameras, which are um, devices that read radionuclides that are injected into patients. And that it allows the uh, camera to take a picture of where the radionuclide travels in the body. And so I learned a lot about physiology, anatomy, and physics to deal with the, the nuclear medicine. And what, so after about a, a little over a year of doing leading the marketing uh, position, they offered me the worldwide general manager's job. Oh my so, gosh. How old so, are you at this point? I'm, I'm just trying to do the math. I'm guessing under 30. Yeah, it, I was, um, let's say, 20, maybe 26, 25. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And um, so I, I, it, I had traveled quite a bit in Europe because of uh, this division. And I, because I could relate to Europe, the Danes would um, uh, respect my point of view because yeah. it was connected to uh, to Europe. Yeah. And that really made a big difference. Uh, some of the products that I led in that organization, believe it or not, many decades later are still the world leader in that category. Really? Um, like yeah, what, can, what types of products? I, okay, the product was called the 400T. It was a camera that the image area was about, um, um, it was 400 centimeters. And GE was the world leader at that point in CAT scanning using X-ray. And I convinced the chief engineer for the CAT scanner, uh, uh, Dr. Edelheit, Lonnie Edelheit, um, to loan me one of his engineers to apply the algorithms of the camera or for the um, CAT scanner to a, a nuclear image. And he um, did the equations and we built the product that would do three-dimensional imaging of uh, a nuclear image as opposed to um, doing a uh, two-dimensional image. And it, it, it was so revealing and it made the medical use of the product that much better. And no one had thought about doing this. And and that became um, an amazing, amazing product. And they're and, still using it today. And they're so and it's, still the, it's the world leader in, the, in its tomographic imaging to this day. I mean, a lot of areas, I mean, even in, I mean, in cellular, which is a huge part of your success and how I know you, like reputationally, also um, products that are still being used. And you're the... Well, get it. We can get into that. Like, how did you transition? And given that you had so much momentum at GE Healthcare, why did you, I guess, make the switch? Um, well, the, electric? the head of the the, uh, the the president of the division, uh, Dr. Walt Robb, uh, sat me down and said, "You know, you might have a career here, but you need to finish all the finishing schools." That we expect our executives to complete. And I said, mm. what do you mean? I've been in manufacturing, I've been in engineering, 
been in sales. I said, but you didn't do it here. You got to do it here. So it took me about three and a half years <laughs> to take all the courses that I had to take. And I got, I finished them. And when I finished them, the same Dr. Rob sat me down. He said, well, now it's time for you to go do something different. And you have a radio background. And I think we're going to, we'd like you to go to the uh, two-way radio business, the commercial radio business in uh, Lynchburg, Virginia. And we, I think that would be a good fit for your skill set. And so off I went. <laughs> and um, started over in a completely new business. And yeah. after, after I was there for, I was, um, I was doing uh, planning for the whole strategic planning for the company, but I was also running marketing worldwide marketing. So I was, um, uh, there was a cellular thing that everybody was talking about and the company had no plan to be in the cellular business. Um, this was 1981 and 82, I guess 82. And I said, you know, you guys really need to be in this business. This, that, uh, that device, that cell phone might put you out of business. And they said, well, that's possible. I said, yeah, why don't, let me put a plan together and see if I can uh, convince you to go into the cellular business. And sure enough, I put the plan together. I was successful in convincing them they should be in the cell business. And, and it, cell phones came out in like 1983. So that overlaps. 80, 80, well, yeah, Chicago turned on at the very end of 1983. Um, and most of the cell phone companies um, built their networks out in 84. Mm. And um, um, so I joined. Uh, so it was now 1983. And the, uh, the president of that division um, said, uh, the medical systems people want you to come back. And they want you to run the... Uh, a magnetic imaging business, which would be a huge promotion, a uh, big company, big organization. And at the same time, a recruiter found me that said, um, we're looking for someone um, to come out to Seattle to build uh, the cell phone business here in Seattle. So, wow. You're so, just, the, so you're open so much to different geographies, which makes you an attractive candidate to a recruiter. Yes, yeah, I, 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 well, I, I, I used to come out to the Pacific Northwest uh, to do new product launches in the radio business. Mm. So I knew what a spectacular area this was and what mm -hmm. a beautiful boating area it was. Yeah. And so I decided that the way the, the, the deal worked, I would be recruited into AT&T. And AT&T was about to break into uh, seven parts, the, the regional bell system. Um, and there was going to be a cell company that handled uh, 14 Western states uh, headquartered out of Seattle. And I knew what a great place Seattle was. And I was excited about the future of the cell phone business. So I said, yes, it was in May of uh, uh, 1983. And we built the cell phone. This was for U.S. West uh, was the parent company. And we... Um, Put the company strategy together, and since I was I was hired as the uh, chief marketing officer and president, and I 
put the plan together and sold it to the, my CEO and to the corporate people. And that was the business we built. So we operated, uh, we built the first system in Seattle. Um, and for our competitor, didn't show up with a network uh, for over two years later. Who was your CEO like that, that hired you? Uh, and the, the guy, the person who hired me was Dick Callahan. He understood um, state, local, and federal regulation really, really well and how to navigate and, and do public policy. And as part of the cell phone business, uh, public policy was really, really important. If, if you're on the Verizon system today, that was the system I built. That's incredible. Uh, I built, eventually that network, those 14 states, actually 15 states by that time, were acquired by Verizon. And I had wanted to become the national operator and I put every plan I could think of in front of the US West people and they just couldn't see that cellular was the next big thing. You know, before the internet and before Google and before uh, uh, social media uh, and apps and cellular was the first big idea that came out of America. That was huge. It was huge. I mean, it was we, huge. And we, um, and I was in the founder of that uh, and a pioneer that. So I, um, so Dick, one of the things I did in the, my marketing role was I decided that uh, since US West only let us buy a few other uh, markets, they said, well, if you could get the markets for nothing, if you could earn the markets without us having to pay for them, um, then we would do it. So I said, well, I can't do that in the US because uh, the people in the US realize how expensive, or how valuable um, cellular is going to be, but I could probably do it in Europe. And they said, well, if you can get a license in Europe, we support you. So I went to Europe and convinced uh, uh, countries uh, to um, allow us to bid on systems. And we won, um, we won the United, all of the United Kingdom uh, in 89. And then we won Hungary, we won uh, the Czech Republic, Slovakia, uh, we built Moscow, we built uh, St. Petersburg. Um, so we had a real run of international cellular. So I got to repeat. So I was running the domestic business. I was running the, the, these worldwide operations. And my boss uh, saw that there was a big opportunity in this. Uh, Dick Callahan saw that there was a big opportunity in international. And he wanted to become the, the senior uh, executive for international for all of US West. So he uh, recommended they promote me to CEO, um, and, and which I did, that was in 85. And so I took over the cell phone business and, and the worldwide operation, and he moved uh, to Denver. And That's incredible. Would you describe that, John, as the like pinnacle time of your career, like the most intense, the most exhilarating, or was it the most stressful or kind of- Oh, it was- I realized this was a, a, a significant opportunity. Yeah. And, um, and the skills that I was, the first five years I was in the cell phone business, I really, though I was learning a lot about the cell phone, I didn't really add much in the way of um, experience um, in business skills. 
because my business background at that point had been pretty uh, developed. But in 1988, uh, US West asked me to take my cell phone company public. And when I had to go through the public offering, uh, we started that process in 87 and the company went public in 88. And so I ran the company um, as a public company uh, for about five years. Um, and I- did you, did you enjoy that? Like when you look at the difference, because I have a few friends that have taken their companies public and it's a whole different level of scrutiny and stress, frankly. Yeah, it, it was, because uh, I was about growth and U.S. West in their, um, with their shareholders. They're about profits, yeah. They had about returns, right? Yeah. They, and so I was the one using cash. Yeah. And they were uh, uh, having to fund a large portion of our cash needs. Mm. And that created quite a bit of stress between, uh, and the faster we grew, the more cash we needed. Mm -hmm. And that was uh, very stressful in, with the two different agendas, because I'd go out and convince people to consider investing in our company. And at the same time, I knew that the corporate parent was more concerned about cash management. Um, I left in 89 to focus on international and I came back in 91. And the, the big decision was, um, do I go back to the original strategies I was using back in 89 when we were wildly successful? Um, or should I relook at the business as if I was a new executive coming in? And I decided to look at the business anew and see what the company needed and not go back to what I was doing in the past that was so successful. And that turned out to be one of the biggest accomplishments in my career is that I built the company differently because it was, it had different needs. And I saw new things because of my time in Europe um, that really uh, uh, we could take advantage of, and I did. And yeah, we, that's I, super smart. Plus in an industry that's innovating and growing so quickly, it has to be looked at differently. It's, it's yes. in, a in a tech industry or you know cellular business, you have to look at it differently. Is it true that you had the second mobile phone in Washington? Oh yes, I had the, the second phone in the, the in the Seattle area. My boss got got the first one and That's I got amazing. the second one. So my cell phone number is the second cell phone number ever issued in Seattle. <laughs> and you still have the same phone number? Yes, I still have the same phone number. We won't and, ask what it is because we don't want you to get harassed. Yeah, but what but kind of phone the, do you have now? Like are you uh, are you a I'm an Apple I'm an Apple, Apple yeah. phone user. And do you have the 14 right now, the most recent? Do you kind of keep up? It's one generation earlier. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I remember um, uh, I was a big, um, when I was in the cell business, I, I uh, convinced Motorola uh, to sell cell phones through carriers. You have to, you have to believe this uh, story. Motorola was not going to sell phones through uh, the carriers the companies who were offering the service. They were going to sell all the phones themselves. They had a 4,000 person sales force and they were going to sell the cell phones. And I said, and they wouldn't take a meeting with me because they didn't want to say no to me. And I eventually convinced an executive at Motorola and he met me in, uh, in 
Phoenix and on the hood of a car at a parking lot, I convinced him that we should sell cell phone. He should sell cell phones through um, carriers. And he took it back to Motorola and they eventually agreed that they would um, in, uh, allow us to sell their cell phones. I became the largest distributor of Motorola cell phones in the world. <laughs> that's crazy. I'm guessing people walking by in Phoenix, Arizona are not thinking that's what's happening in the parking lot. Yeah, in the, on the hood of a car. On the hood um, of a car. Yeah, we had the, I had my plan laid out. <laughs> Tell me about U.S. Airwaves. That's that you founded that company, and that's right. That yes, comes I, out after. Yes, I. Because um, you so left. I, I, now, um, U.S. West wanted me to be the chief technology officer um, for the cable business, mm -hmm. and they wanted me uh, to build that company. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, there's a new uh, spectrum that's going to be awarded by the federal government, and I'm only going to have one more chance at doing that. So I think I'm, I'll, I'm going to leave U.S. West and start a new cellular company based on all the experience I had. And so I did. I started the company and I recruited a number of people to come work for me from uh, that were with me at U.S. West. And, and I had to go out as an entrepreneur and raise venture capital and was successful uh, raising uh, in today's dollars, I would have raised about $15 million mm. in venture capital. And it was uh, Kleiner Perkins, which is probably the oh, yeah. most it's like the Oh, yeah, the most yes. prestigious, for the sure. Most yes, I was, yes. An I was an advisor to Motorola. Mm. And when they would have a question about wireless or something, they right. called. So I would right. help them. Yeah. And so they agreed to have a meeting with me because... We, we were friends and I went in to give the presentation uh, on the cell phone business that I wanted to start. So I sat down with two of their most senior people uh, who are world famous um, even to, to this day uh, in the venture business. And they looked at me and they said, we've already decided not to do this, but you're a friend of the company. Why don't you tell us what you have in mind? So I was you know, going to put my business plan on the up on the screen and they said no 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 no. there's a whiteboard up there take a magic marker and tell us your tell us how you're going to do this so on this on the whiteboard <laughs> i laid out the entire business plan and they thought about it for a couple of days and said we're going to do it <laughs> and what was the, what was the business plan exactly what was the business model uh the, the business model was a talk and listen business but it, it had a lot of pieces in it about very uh, uh, successful ways of distributing the phones and doing phone distribution through retail and emphasizing uh, uh, portable phones. Mm. And I, because we saw that the portable was uh, going to be the future. And, and uh, since I knew something about uh, uh, Europe and you know, the, U, the UK uh, network, which was designed for portables, I would do that in the U.S. And that convinced um, Kleiner Perkins to back me. And then I raised, um, over a year period, 
I raised another $240 million, which would be over a billion dollars in today's oh dollars. Gosh. And in, in, so I did a series A offering and then I did a series B and, and that gave me enough capital to go to the auction to buy the spectrum. So we got to the auction and we started real well. And basically they screwed up the auction and, the, and nobody was successful. Yeah, it sounds like from just listening that this was your first uh, challenge, you know, and how how did you face that? And how did you just kind of like pick yourself up again and keep Yeah, it was charging? really disappointing. I mean, to, to, to work that, I had never worked as hard as I did ever to raise that kind of money. Yeah, and, that's, and that's people we And the people we, um, who said yes, I, it was a who's who in American business. Um, Motorola made an investment. Um, um, Hyundai uh, made an a major investment. Um, uh, Qualcomm was an investor. Uh, it, it was a, a, a MCI. It, it was a who's who group of yeah. companies. And each of them, I would negotiate to use pieces of their infrastructure yeah. to build the new company. So MCI was going to give me their customer care, um, software capability. It and sounds like a slam dunk. So it's just yeah, so unfortunate. It was yeah. all, all put together. We had agreements with everybody. And then the auction went sideways. And within two months, the business was done. We, I closed the business and everybody had to go find something else to do. How much time did you take off in between that and your next thing? Oh. And I guess, what's your what's your... What was your strategy for figuring it out? Because some people would have just gone into kind of a slump. <laughs> yeah, it was easy to do. I went on some boards. I put a consulting company together and went into helping uh, entrepreneurs uh, raise capital. I was very successful learning how to do that. And I had Goldman Sachs as coaches. And I had, uh, I mean, if you saw the companies that I, uh, Merle Lynch, I, mean, yeah. I learned the capital markets business from the best of the best. Lehman Brothers. So are, you, are you still doing that business where you're helping entrepreneurs? Yes. I, I continued that later. It came back. I still do some of that. Uh, I do it yeah. at the University of Washington. I'm a mentor at the University of Washington Co-Motion uh, Innovation Center. And and we, uh, we do um, uh, mentoring of early stage companies. So we, we acquired, got, found an introduction to a but I was now doing um, consulting with early stage companies. And there was a wireless company up in Canada and we, we showed up to see if we could, could help them with their strategy. And one of the companies that was helping them was from Bechtel. And after they got to know me, they said, you know, we would like to start a venture capital company. Would you be interested in being CEO of a venture capital company? I said, gee, that, that's, can I use my team? And can I, can it be headquartered in Seattle? And they said, yes. So I took my consultant team and we became venture capital people. Yeah. And what kinds of companies are you investing in? Like what stage and what sectors? And Well, it was, it was relatively early stage. And we would go out and invest in companies who were going to win licenses uh, in, some, in some auction or some form. And 
and we invested in about, I think, six companies. Um, and we were interested in Western Europe, the European Union, and essentially in North America, where that's where we were focused. So we had an office in London and an office in Seattle. And uh, US uh, the people at uh, Bechtel were the best of the best. I, 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 they treated me really, really well. And they supported, I couldn't have asked for a better, better team that really bought into the vision of what we were trying to do. And the CEO of Bechtel, uh, Riley Bechtel, was my um, principal uh, contact at the corporation. Mm. And he was wonderful. So we, we really uh, got to do a lot of interesting things. And reflecting on your career, because it's been amazing, and I do want to hear about what you're doing right now, because it's super cool. Um, do you have some lessons that you can share with our listeners around leadership? Like, what are your top three leadership attributes that you must admire? What we did, and I did this a number of times in recruiting people, what I found were people that worked on a mastery of some subject. I found that those people were more adaptive when you went into new markets and innovation. Mm -hmm. So first thing was to look for people um, who were good at more than one thing, who had skills in two areas. The second was really people that are um, easy to get along with. And the third thing, and they had to be real, and the uh, third thing was they had to be really, really smart. They, they had to, not, not necessarily academically, but they had to be really, really smart. And the fourth thing is they had to be hard to kill. And I what always looked for people that were who had reverses in their reversals in their careers, but would bounce back and would get up and figure out a way to, to do it again and get back in the game. Ah. So those four things are um, are principles that I've used many, many times in the ventures that I've put together. Um, and as you said a few minutes ago, um, I'm engaged in a new venture. Uh, uh, there's uh, two professors at the University of Washington uh, developed um, a new platform to build diagnostic products around uh, um, to de detect different diseases. And the uh, National Institutes of Health came to them and gave them grants to uh, develop this technology. And the mm. University of Washington invested. So, uh, so I was at the, uh, and still am at the U uh, in this uh, in their Comotion organization. So the Comotion people asked me if I would uh, take an interview because they needed a CEO uh, because they were to get their next round of financing. They had to have a CEO in place. So I I met with them, and I liked the two guys, and I liked the idea, and it was a big idea. And so I said, yes. And so I'm, I'm back being CEO again <laughs> of another early stage company. That sounds like a blast and so relevant. And imagine you crack this code, right? We're, uh, we're hard at it. We've developed um, as a, a proof of concept that this technology um, can be a, uh, a, a big help to uh, diagnostic medicine. Um, we, uh, um, the National Institutes of Health wanted us to focus on a more sensitive form of a COVID test. Mm -hmm. 
And so we uh, applied our science, the, te the technical team applied uh, their skills around that. And we have developed a much more sensitive um, COVID test that can be run in eight minutes. And it, it really allows you to find people that have the disease but have no symptoms. Mm. Because the over-the-counter test that we all take before you go to a cocktail party or a, a family gathering, uh, those tests are not that sensitive. And you can have the disease present and you can be infecting other people because you don't know you have it. Mm -hmm. So if you use our to this test we're developing, we've, we've developed it and it works. Um, it it um, would detect the disease before uh, people um, have symptoms. And, and is and, it available? I know it's we're in the process. We have to get an FDA approval. Yeah, uh, do well, it. That's so we're exciting. In, we're on the track. That's um, exciting. Yeah, I love how really you've fun. come full circle in your career. Yeah, I'm back. I'm back. Back uh, at it in the medical device business. Yeah, and it's fun. Uh, it's been a long time since I was in the medical device business. The FDA has added an immense amount of regulations, but because of the way this. Um, the National Institutes of Health funded us, they assigned us an accelerator and the accelerator has all kinds of consultants in it. And they, these consultants understand the regulatory requirements, understand um, um, fundraising, they have all kinds of people that yeah. come to help us in the company and they don't charge us for any of that. So That's we, uh, it's amazing what the, the, um, the, National Institutes of Health are doing for us. And it's been terrific. So it's a great way to, to come back into the medical business because I have all these smart people that bring me up to speed on what happened in all the years I wasn't in the medical business. Oh yeah. And UW is like at the at the center of all of yes. it. Yes. So yes. given that you have given all of your your personal passions and and hobbies and also just how busy and and brilliant you are, I'm curious if you've got hacks on time management or anything you can share about how you set yourself up for a good week and a productive day or week? Well, yeah, every day is a, a busy time. And, but it's really focusing on what has to be done today. Um, I try to be very much in the moment and see what other people in the company or that I'm working with or at, at the NIH, what do they need to be successful? And those are the things I prioritize first. Yeah. So it, it's really about asking the question, how can I help make them successful? And that's mm -hmm. the basis that I make each day about how I'm going to spend my time. Mm -hmm. Like servant leadership. Yeah, it's very much the servant leadership. That book is always stuck with me. Yeah. And those are the best, the best leaders and the ones who lead with, with empathy and modeling behavior versus yes. just kind yes. of top down. Yeah, I love that. Okay, my final question for you, John, and thank you again, is what fuels you? What fuels me is really the having a palette to paint on. Is the, the idea of innovation is really deep inside of me, and that really guides me on what I do next. And, and I love to learn new things and learn new cultures and learn about new people. Um, so the curio curiosity is very much a big piece of me. Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review 
on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You. We'll be right back.